Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at our Wyoming weather. We'll be talking about Wyoming sports. We'll be taking a look at bear number 399. Yes, she's back in the news. We'll also have Oliver Anthony update. And finally, we'll be taking a look at Jim Baker, a Wyoming mountain man with some Colorado backgrounds. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the 24th day of August. Boy, Labor Day is just right around the corner. Hot is continuing on here in the state of Wyoming. We did have a little bit of a reprieve on Sunday, cooled down. It was in the temperatures in the high 60s, low 70s, majority of the day, which was a relief. But uh, it is getting a little dry. I made my monthly trip over to Sheridan, actually two times, back to back. It is getting a little bit dry in spots on the mountain, but uh, everywhere else still looks good. There's been enough rain. It's still green. So, state of Wyoming looks like we are going to continue hot, maybe a little bit of a drop in temperature over the weekend a little bit. I saw some forecasts for potential rain, but then I saw temperatures back in the 90s for next week, and we're at that time. Uh, you're waiting to see how September is going to be. Uh, September has a really big effect on our falls and what happens there, especially our growing season with the weather in September. We can have some continual warm temperatures, but again, I've seen some pretty good frost in the month of September. So right now it's hot, hot everywhere, some winds, and it looks like it's going to be a good weekend, a good weekend to get out and enjoy it since you're getting at the end of the Summer is right upon us, and then Labor Day, and after that, it's just full forward, and before we know it, we'll be talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. But again, here in Wyoming, it's hot, windy, and it looks like it'll be some more of the same with potential thunderstorms in between. Taking a look at Wyoming sports, high school athletics will get started here in the state this weekend. I know here in Thermopolis, we have a Volleyball game tonight. The Lady Bobcats open their season against Rocky Mountain High School. The Bobcats are a 3A school. Rocky Mountain is a 2A school, but they always excel at volleyball. They'll match up tonight here at Hot Springs County High School Gymnasium. Our football team's in action tomorrow as they take on our neighbor here just to the north in Washkey County, the Worland Warriors, in a zero-week game. I think they're actually referring to that as a zero-week game. I'm waiting to find out how that's going to be played. Last year, it was just a scrimmage, but we'll see what happens. But high school sports are starting here all across the state of Wyoming, especially with the football season and volleyball, cross country, uh, swimming, you name it, it's happening right now. College football is another week out when the Wyoming Cowboys will open up next weekend on Labor Day weekend in Laramie, Wyoming, as they take on Texas Tech. It looks like a pretty good team this year in the Big 12. They had a good finish to their season last year, and I expect good things from them. So that'll be a tough game for the Cowboys. We're getting into that time of year where the sports are just taking off and chance for everyone to get out and enjoy the athletic events in your community. Had a chance last weekend to take in some collegiate volleyball. Cody High School hosted a scrimmage between the Wyoming Cowgirls volleyball team and the Montana State Bobcats from up at Bozeman. Came and had a really exciting five-setter. Let's say Cody Gymnasium was a little bit warm 
that day, but it didn't deter the fans. A great crowd that Jim was packed, and nice to see that support. So, again, always an opportunity when you get a chance to watch those girls play at that level in volleyball. I really enjoy volleyball. I probably have said that before in a podcast, but great night in uh, Cody, Wyoming. Just an update on other things in the state. Bear number 399, our famous celebrity here in the state, has reappeared after a month hiatus. Her and her cub, everything looks good. The comment that I've seen is that the cub has just really grown, so she is making people happy again. I'm sure there's a lot of people smiling knowing that she's out and about because she does have a a fan club that follows her every move. And she's probably going to feel like she's number two in the fan clubs across the United States right now. We talked about Oliver Anthony, the rich man north of Richmond. I hope everybody's had a chance to take that in and the impact it's had. And he's come out with multiple other songs that have that have shot up the charts. And the one that I heard yesterday was Take Me Home. Kind of a religious song about taking me back home to Jesus. And I thought it was good. Again, I've seen some additional videos of his, and I will note that every one of his videos that he is reading from the Bible before he starts playing. As far as the impact that he's having, you know, God works in a lot of mysterious ways and empowers a lot of people. This is maybe happening for a reason. I think that uh, we're living in a new world right now and with an old soul, and definitely I am an old soul. A lot of us would probably agree to that, being an old soul, that these new ways just ain't working out for us. And we definitely look for those times when things were just a little simpler. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Look at a story from wildhistory.org from Lori Van Pelt, like uh, Lori's writings. Jim Baker, the Frontier Scout. When the Frontier beckoned, young Jim Baker sought his fortunes in the West and found a life that brimmed with adventure, danger, and romance. Both Wyoming and Colorado claim him as their own because he is thought to have been the first settler in Colorado Territory and he built what is often called the first permanent cabin in Wyoming Territory. And though he was a white man, and despite many hostile encounters with American Indians, he befriended some of them and married Indian women, which led to his being called the Red-Headed Shoshone. Baker's story began in Bellevue, Illinois, where he was born on December 19th of 1818. Some sources indicate that his fascination with the West began in his youth, when he was exposed to the thrills of buckskin-clad Indian fighters in the word of one who survived to tell his tale in a local tavern. Baker eventually headed to St. Louis, Missouri, where he accepted an offer from frontiersman Jim Bridger to work for the American Fur Company in the waning years of the Rocky Mountain fur trade. The group left St. Louis on May 15, 1838, and journeyed by steamer. The 18-month contract allowed young Baker to travel and enjoy the outdoors. Baker learned quickly from Bridger and hunted with another famed frontiersman, Kit Carson, in the Uinta Mountains of what are now Wyoming and Utah. 
When his contract with the American Fur Company expired, he returned to Illinois. But the excitement of the West had gotten into Baker's blood. In May of 1841, he headed west once again. This time, he traveled with the Bartleson Bidwell Party, the first wagon train of settlers to journey overland on the Oregon Trail and reach California. Some sources indicate Baker also traveled alone part of the way. In early August of 1841, Baker joined Jim Bridger's camp at Henry's Fork of the Green River. Bridger expressed concern about a colleague, Henry Frapp, sometimes referred to as Frapp. Frapp had likely engaged in some inappropriate horse dealings, and Bridger thought hostile Indians had captured him, but the men learned that Frapp was safe and camped with other trappers near the Little Snake River in what is now south-central Wyoming. On August 21, 1841, Baker and another man were hunting across the river from Frab's camp when they saw the ominous sign of rising cloud of dust in the mountains. They rushed to the camp. They soon began to engage in a fierce fight with the Sioux, Cheyenne, and Arapaho. Frab was one of the first killed. Baker is credited with taking charge after that. During the two-day fracas, Four trappers and most of the trappers' horses were killed. Some estimate claim as many as 100 Indians were killed, but historian William F. Stock states the number is unknown and notes that seems to increase as the story is retold over time. According to Stocks, more than 100 horses from both sides were killed. On August 27th, Baker returned to the Bridger camp with other survivors. The now defunct town of Battle in the Sierra Madres West of Encampment, Wyoming, gained its name from the conflict, as did Battle Creek near Battle Pass and the Battle Highway. Later part of the decade brought romance to Baker, who had camped with the Shoshone near what is now Medicine Bow, Wyoming. He rescued the daughter of a Shoshone chief when she was kidnapped by a Blackfoot band and returned Morena to her father. Baker married the young woman in October of 1847. The bride presented her buckskin-clad groom with a necklace made of bear claws, an emblem of bravery. In the fall of 1852, a group of trappers, including Baker and Jim Bridger, met at Kit Carson's headquarters in Rondo, New Mexico Territory, and made a loop from the Arkansas River to the South Platte, North Platte, Sweetwater, and Wind River. They wintered on the Green River, and in the spring trapped along the Green. The Little Snake and Yampa Rivers, before returning to Riondo, it was the last time these trappers assembled together. After the trap, Baker learned that his wife, Morena, had died. Another story is told of a daring rescue that led Baker to romance. This time, he saved a Sioux woman, Flying Fawn. Her father's name, Long Lance, and her cousin flashed a fire from the April blizzard. The Indians were traveling to the Grand Encampment at Rendezvous, but the storm caught them 20 miles downriver with no provisions. Flash of Fire grew jealous of Baker's love for Flying Fawn and prepared to shoot him with an arrow when the couple stood before her father to be married. However, Long Lance killed his nephew before Baker was harmed. Historian Nolly Mumley states in her book, published in 1931, that Flying Fawn's name doesn't appear in research again, so it is not known if they were married. Baker spent time as a scout for the military in the 1850s serving as a chief scout under General William Harney at Fort Laramie in 1855. In 1857, during the Bloodless Mormon War, Baker guided a detachment of Colonel Albert Sidney Johnson's troops to Fort Bridger 
in what is now southwestern Wyoming. That year, federal troops intended to march from Kansas to Utah to enforce law, but made it only as far as Fort Bridger, where, low on supplies and livestock, they stopped for the winter. Later in the year, Captain R.B. Marcy was sent from Fort Bridger to Fort Union in New Mexico to purchase mules, as so much army stock had been stolen or run off by the Mormon militia. Baker guided Marcy's detachment from Fort Bridger southeast across what is now Colorado. Along the way, they stopped at Fort Massachusetts in the San Luis Valley for supplies. Marcy quoted in a Salt Lake Tribune article, felt certain his troops would have died without the help of an expert scout because of deep snow, intense cold, and a lack of food for themselves and animals, and because of the region being such a trackless wilderness in winter. On the return trip from Fort Massachusetts in early 1858, Marcy's men discovered gold at Cherry Creek near Denver. Baker appears to have left the Army service about this time. In 1858, he opened a ferry on the Overland Trail crossing of the Green River. In the Denver newspaper interview years later, he recalls that he charged $10 per wagon for the service. Historian Charles Leckenby related in his book, Trend of the Pioneers, that when a competitor moved nearby, the men attempted to settle their differences by each swallowing a shot of whiskey before taking rifle shots at each other. Leckenby states that Jim Bridger intervened, but some sources indicate that Captain Marcy did, and that Baker apologized for the drinking. In 1859, Baker settled in the Colorado Territory. Then, filling up with gold miners and merchants, he later proved up his land under the terms of the Homestead Act in an area that would soon become Denver, and Clear Creek became known as Baker's Crossing. Years later, he told the Denver Republican that he hauled into Denver the first load of stone coal that ever was taken out of the ground here. But as more people came, Baker decided he craved more solitude. He told the newspaper that the railroad, which could haul freight at two cents per pound, had pushed him out of the area because he couldn't transport goods with mules so cheaply. In 1872, he scouted for a railroad survey party to Salt Lake. The next year, he returned to the Wyoming Territory. In 1873, he built a two-story cabin near present-day Savory in the Little Snake River Valley of southern Wyoming near the Colorado line. The cabin resembled a fort, and for many years, a railing surrounding the second story, Baker raised cattle using the J.B. brand. A Cheyenne Daily Leader report of January 17th of 1877, describes a nearly 60-year-old baker as a frontier character who was as gnarled and grizzled as some of the many old pines that have graced the mountain peaks. His rustic appearance was likely a result of fights with bears as well as men. Indian troubles continued, and Baker's sturdy cabin served as a fort for area settlers during tensions surrounding the 1879 Meeker Massacre in nearby Meeker, Colorado. There, Indian agent Nathan Meeker of the White River Agency and Major Thomas Thornborough, among others, were killed during a battle of the Utes. At this time, a third story was added to Baker's cabin to provide a lookout post. Baker had guided Ute Indian agent Daniel C. Oaks to the place where the White River Agency would be located, and on a return trip, he led Colonel Wesley Merritt and his 5th U.S. Cavalry Rescue Mission there. After Thornburr's death, Camp Air artist Merritt D. Houghton took a photograph of Baker in 1879 and published the portrait in his later book, Views of Southern Wyoming. In the photograph, 
The old scout holds his sharp buffalo rifle. The leader calls the gun his warmest friend and inseparable companion. The Denver Republican reported on June 8, 1893, they called the 75-year-old Baker the oldest living scout and described him as a tall, broad-shouldered, with light-colored hair allowed to hang to his shoulders, but never a gray streak in it with a bright face. His walk, however, according to the newspaper, suggests a great age. Some sources indicate he participated in as many as 100 Indian fights during his life. Baker died on May 15, 1898, in his cabin. He was buried in the family cemetery at the base of the mountain that bears his name. According to author Leighton Baker, no relation, Jim Baker fathered 14 children by three wives. Marina bore his sons William and Joseph and a daughter, Jane. Baker and his second wife, Mary, had daughters, Mary, Isabel, Madeline, Nancy, Kate, Lisa, Elsie, and sons Thomas, Buck, and Jim. Mary's sister, Elsa, bore Jenny. While Baker is often described as rugged and tough-talking, as might be expected from a frontiersman of his day, he also was known as a kind, tender-hearted, trustworthy, and loyal. Some referred to him as Honest Uncle Jim. After Baker's death, both Colorado and Wyoming wanted to honor him as a pioneer. Colorado historians chose to memorialize Baker with a stained-glass window in the dome of the Capitol, and they hoped to have his cabin moved to Denver. Wyoming historian Grace Raymond Hubart reported this, and the residents of the state let the wishes to keep Baker's cabin be known. In 1917, the Wyoming legislature appropriated $500 to purchase the cabin and $250 to move it to Cheyenne. The logs were taken down and numbered. However, the funds ran out before the items made it to the railroad. The Cheyenne Frontier Days Committee helped rescue the stranded cabin that year. The building was erected and stood in Frontier Park in Cheyenne, but the timbers began to rot and Baker's cabin was taken apart and stored. Baker's canoe went to a friend, George Wren, who later gave it to the Wyoming State Museum. Baker used a 16-foot-long canoe made of a hollowed-out cottonwood tree on the Little Snake River near his home. 1976, after much persuasion and work by the Little Snake River Valley residents, Baker's cabin was returned to the Little Snake River Valley as a bicentennial project. Many of the tags marking the logs were faded, and the reassembly of the structure took almost two months. The Baker Cabin was named a historical place in 1982. From 1983 to 2001, Baker's canoe was displayed at the Little Snake River Museum. It was returned to the Wyoming State Museum in 2002, where it can be viewed today. The Baker Cabin now stands on the museum grounds about a mile from its original place. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming. Wyoming.